Hello and welcome to the RSS Reform of the Landlord and Tenant Act. We're delighted to have you join us as we discuss the Act and its reforms through the lens of alternative dispute resolution. My name is Dominic Collier, I'm the Senior Public Affairs Officer at RICS and delighted to be hosting today's edition of the podcast. I'll be joined by my colleague Martin Burns. Martin is Head of ADR Research and Development at RICS. Martin's worked for RICS for over 30 years and his current role is to work with government and industry bodies in the UK and globally to design and implement sensible and cost-effective ways for people and businesses to avoid and manage disputes concerning land, property and construction. Hello Martin and it's a pleasure to have you join us. Hello Dominic, glad to be here. Fantastic. So before we dive into today's content, I'd just like to take a moment to provide a quick update on where we currently find ourselves. The Law Commission are trying to take a wide-ranging review that will consider in detail how the right to renew business tendencies set out in Part 2 of the Landlord and Tenant Act is currently working and what options there are for reform. This project was referred to the Law Commission by the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, DLUC, earlier this year on the 27th of March, having been announced as part of the government's wider Antisocial Behaviour Action Plan. Previous Law Commission reviews have taken place and the current review is being considered a new milestone for the Act. The review will explore problems with the existing law with a view to developing a modern legal framework that's widely used rather than knocked it out of and that helps businesses to grow and communities to thrive. As well exploring how the review can support the long-term resilience of high streets by making sure current legislations fit for today's commercial market while also considering government priorities such as net zero and lending up. The Law Commission currently finds itself at the pre-consultation stage which is two or five stage involves them directly engaging with key stakeholders, which has included us, the RICS. We met with the Law Commission this year to answer their questions, to help provide advice and guidance. Martin was also involved in that meeting. We're anticipating a consultation paper by late 2023, most likely December, which we'll be responding to, and we hope those that are listening to this podcast will also be able to respond. The final and fifth stage is the report stage, which is penciled in for autumn 2025. We, RSS, will continue to engage with our members, the Law Commission, as well as all the other vital stakeholders in this process to ensure that commercial real estate is used fairly, effectively and efficiently. So that's where we find ourselves. Martin, we're delighted to have you join us today. As, as kind of just mentioned, the Law Commission has indicated that a formal consultation of the Land on Tent Act will begin in December later this year. I guess to kind of kick off, really, what are the main issues that the consultation should focus on? There's... There's going to be a lot, isn't there, Dominic? There are going to be loads of real key issues. The first foremost, I suppose, is addressing the immense complexity of the current legislation. And that has come in for criticism for a very long time. And if you think about it, you know, this is hugely important because you know, there's around 50% of commercial property in the UK is leased out. And yet... The regulation, the act that kind of regulates commercial property in the UK has been around for over 70 years. It just seems uh, right about now that it's time something is done to modernise it. And I suppose amongst those key issues, clearly, is, is, is the kind of tricky balance that needs to be played out between uh, a tenant's right to security of tenure and the landlord's freedom to do what they want with their own properties. You know, that's, that's a very tricky balance. And the sort of RSS, in some respects, I suppose, is caught in the middle of that because we are very keen to ensure that whatever comes out of the consultation, whatever legislative updates and reviews happen, 
then it really tries to strike the best balance possible for both sides. That's a, that's a tricky ask, I know. Going into a little bit more detail, I suppose, you know, that the consultation is going to look at issues like what type of leases should, um, you know, be governed by the new Act, and particularly what type of leases that are currently not covered by by the current legislation. And how, you know, should this new revision of the Act deal with what many believe to be things like an unwieldy contracting out process? But um, the real focus, I suppose, of the chat that we're having now and what we're about to have is how is the legislation going to address the way that landlords and tenants manage and resolve the disputes that are currently between them? And how can that be modernised? How it can be simplified and made more efficient? I think that's the, that's a real key key area. Absolutely, and I, I really like how you said that the the origins of the act was to secure that balance. Really, I think that's something that's it's very difficult to actually achieve, but it's something the act I think has been widely recognised to do, and it's about re, reconfirming that balance uh, moving forwards as well. Absolutely, and that goes also to the dispute resolution element to it you know so any dispute resolution mechanism that is contained within legislation needs to be fair and balanced you know it can't be weighted on one side or the other uh, and it's it's key to any dispute resolution mechanism that it's impartial absolutely absolutely which kind of goes on as you're saying quite nicely to the options available to landlords and tenants to resolve disputes i guess are our courts the the best or only option available well, the way the, the Act is set up at the moment is that, and this is one of the criticisms, actually, of the Act, is that it, it channels disputes to the courts, and that's all disputes under the sort of um, landlord and tenant regime. And the way it's set up is it's pretty heavy going, I think, is a polite way to describe it. Out of date is another way, perhaps, also to describe it. The, the courts, they have a place. The courts are the ideal forum for dealing with issues, particularly those issues that might require some sort of legal precedent and involve maybe issues around law and to that extent then are are multi complex. But that is not the the reality in terms of the kind of disputes that often happen between landlords and tenants on lease renewals. They tend not to be overly complex or involving issues that need legal precedent. And so for that reason, the courts are not the best forum for many, many disputes on landlord and tenant issues. For the reasons also that courts are painfully slow. Yeah, they take a long, long time before they get settled through the litigation process. They, um, they're also eye-wateringly costly. It's not cheap going to court. I'm not going to come up with any numbers here and now, but just to say, you know, that the, the average person the average business will find taking issues to court an extraordinarily eye-wateringly costly affair just another sort of critique or criticism of the, the litigation process of course is that it's it's a scary place to be in a court you know parties will find it extraordinarily formal and to that extent it's not lending itself to sort of resolution of disputes where people feel comfortable using it Absolutely. And I think um, you're right to highlight the the challenges that exist with the the current court process. 
costly, absolutely slow. The cases are often being uh, unique, complex with lots of variables. It's difficult for courts to to scale up to really meet the challenge that exists in this area. There's also, of course, the thing that you know I've got a lot of time for the the intellect and the the immense amount that judges are able to bring to bear on cases. But at the end of the day, they're not necessarily technical experts on property and technical experts on the kind of issues that parties are taking to disputes. To that extent, then, you know, having some people resolve disputes who are experts, subject matter experts, I think really is is of great benefit to parties. It gives them, the parties, also confidence that whoever's going to be deciding their dispute is somebody who really understands the issues, understands the language that they're speaking. Absolutely. Which goes on to, I guess, you know, what are the, the viable alternatives to litigation? Who, who should these experts be, really? Well, alternative is, is the operative word here, isn't it? Because alternative, we're talking ADR, alternative dispute resolution. And of course, that's defined in law as any method of resolving a dispute that doesn't involve the trial process in court. The the three that I certainly hear most talked of when it comes to landlord and tenant issues is mediation, expert determination, and arbitration. And I think these are going to be the ones that are going to raise their heads in this consultation. And people will be forwarding arguments for use of one or all three or two out of three of, of those particular methods. Brilliant. Fantastic. And, and could you give us a, a bit of a flavour of the, the pros and cons of, of each one of those? So for those that might not know, that are listening to the podcast. Yeah, well, let's start with mediation. Shall we? What is mediation? Well, mediation is a process whereby a, a negotiation, if you like, is facilitated, is supported, is helped by an independent third person acting as a mediator. And that's the role of a mediator. A mediator is not there to decide a dispute for two people or two parties. The mediator's role is to help the parties find their own solution. And so the mediator's role is very much about keeping the conversation going, keeping the focus going, avoiding deadlock and entrenchment, facilitating and structuring a negotiation and agreed negotiation between uh, two parties. And to that extent, then, the you know, some of the key benefits of mediation is that it's non-adversarial. It doesn't have two people eyeball to eyeball, if you like, arguing and in confrontation with each other. It's about trying to find a mutually agreed outcome. Another real benefit of mediation as a way to resolve disputes is that it can be very innovative. You know, it can find solutions that are not necessarily available in a, a, a trial process, for example and that people can come to solutions which are not necessarily at the front of their minds when they set out to try and resolve the issues. The process itself, because it's so mutually engaged and parties working together to try and find a solution, is by and large being involved in mediation means that it's non-binding until such time as you both agree to a solution that you then agree to set out in the contract and lease as a binding answer to the to the dispute i suppose the cons to it is that you know for that to work then it really does need both parties to cooperate and to engage with each other and the dynamics of many disputes is that's not always the case you know it's very often the case that 
parties are, are not engaging with each other. They're not talking or one party believes they have such a strong case that it's no point in, in mediating. I also think, and this is a personal view, is that one of the cons of mediation is that it doesn't really lend itself to a dispute where it's a black and white dispute. It's either one thing or another. It's a yes or a no. Or it's an answer to a question, a numbers game. You know, what is the the amount to be paid? I'm not saying it's impossible for mediation to to resolve and help resolve those types of issues. I'm just saying that it's not the first thing that comes to my mind is that the best way of resolving a dispute using mediation for those signs of things. You know, you contrast that with expert determination, for example. An expert determination is where you do have a third-party dispute resolver whose job it is to decide the dispute, to give an answer to the question. And independent expert is what it says on the tin. You have somebody who, first and foremost, is independent, is not a party to the dispute, is impartial, and is an expert in the subject matter that they're arguing about. So that then lends itself to credibility, gives the parties confidence that the person deciding their dispute is somebody who knows what they're talking about, been there, seen it before, and can give an answer that is commercially sensible. You know, another benefit of the expert determination process is that the parties in that case have the opportunity to put their arguments and cases to the expert so that the expert can take them into consideration when forming a conclusion. The thing about independent expert determination, though, it's, it's not one set formula in the sense that the parties have to agree what the independent expert is empowered to do and what the independent expert is obliged to do. And two examples of that, you know, there needs to be some express provision for the independent expert to determine the costs and who pays for it. So if there's no uh, express provision or, or prescribed provision for that, then the parties somehow have to agree that that happens. And also an independent expert is not obliged to to give reasons for their decision unless it's prescribed unless it's the parties have actually set out this is what we want and require and it becomes part of the experts terms of engagement so there's a lot to think about when you're using expert determination and if there is a legislation that requires ultimately for disputes to be resolved by expert determination that i think they need to cover off what the expert is going to do and there needs to be a bit more prescriptive Contrast that, on the other hand, with arbitration. Arbitration, again, what you get is somebody deciding the dispute who's a subject matter expert. But there are some very distinct differences between the role of an arbitrator and the role of an independent expert. And one of them is that the arbitration process is regulated by a statutory regime of its own right, which gives the arbitrator uh, immense amounts of authority and power to determine the agenda, to determine who pays for it, and to to make orders that one party will do one thing, say, for example, disclose you know, relevant documents. Arbitration also allows the parties to really put their case to somebody who's going to decide it and allows for a deep analysis of issues, again, by somebody who's a subject matter expert. At the end of the day, in arbitration, the person who wins is the person who has really made the most persuasive argument. 
uh, and that's how an arbitrator decides the decision. An arbitrator's decision, known as an award, is effectively the arbitrator's opinion on who has been the most persuasive. And to be persuasive, you have to submit compelling evidence. And I suppose that then goes to one of the cons, I suppose, of arbitration. It's it's an adversarial process, again, so it's got the, the parties at uh, eyeball to eyeball. But it requires parties to understand how to persuade an arbitrator. You, know, you can't just shout at the arbitrator and whoever shouts loudest gets it. You have to provide you know, substantive evidence to support any assertions and any case you want to put. And that has to be done in a way that is persuasive. And of course, then that requires professional help in many, many cases. So those are the three main areas, I think, mediation, expert determination, arbitration. They all have positives, uh, but they all have perhaps negatives that people might want to consider as well. It's, it's a fascinating conversation to have, really, about what the, the options are available. And it's one that we actually recently asked in a polling question to our, our, our kind of members in a webinar that took place last week. So the question we asked them was, what do they think was the best way of conducting the dispute resolution process for commercial lease renewals? And it was fascinating, the results that came back. So uh, out of a group of about 700 people who were on the call, those that answered the poll, 1% said court, 2% said tribunal, 29% said arbitrator, 35% said independent expert, and 33% parties should choose the preferred dispute process. I suppose looking at those stats, does does anything jump out at you? I mean, there's certainly one or two things I find particularly interesting there. Well, you tell me what you find interesting, but the first thing that really <laughs> jumped out at me, Dominic, was the fact that 1% said court was uh, the best way of conducting dispute resolution. 1%. Okay, so there's kind of equal numbers for arbitrator and independent expert, but it does kind of demonstrate that there's a, a feeling that the courts are not perhaps the most uh, effective way of resolving lease renewal disputes in particular. Uh, absolutely. I, 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 oh, I was very much going to agree with you there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whenever a number's 1%, it, it sticks out like a sore, a sore thumb, really, doesn't it? I mean, 1% is... It's very low, but also the fact that you know, 29% arbitrator people chose and 33% the parties should choose as well, which very much points in that direction as well. So some really, really interesting stats there uh, and, and something that we can certainly look to to relay to the Law Commission as well as they go through this uh, consultation process. Yeah, the, the, there's kind of a fine balance in those stats, and I'll just read them again for, for people listening, that 29% voted in favour of the use of arbitration and 35% in favour of expert determination. To my mind, that there's not a great deal of difference in terms of popularity for those. So it'd be very interesting, I think, Dominic, when it comes to the consultation itself as to where the, the, the needle's going to go. Is it going to go in favour of arbitration and independent expert determination? That's presuming, of course, there will be a question asking, what is your preferred method of uh, dispute resolution? Uh, absolutely. And it's worth saying that while we have uh, been engaged with the Law Commission, we, we do not know what the questions that they will ask will be at this stage, uh, as we're all in the same boat uh, at this moment in time. Yeah, we're, we're making assumptions, aren't we? But um, I think probably there's a good chance that there will be questions around the type of ADR method. 
Brilliant. Okay, so I'd, I'd like to move us on to uh, another question. And we do like our, our acronyms in this world. So um, something that was asked of us recently as well is what is uh, PACT? So Martin, could you uh, tell us what the acronym means and, and give us a bit more details about it as well? I'm delighted you asked what is PACT. PACT, P-A-C-T. PACT is, stands for Professional Arbitration on Court Terms. And in fact, it's a, a way that parties have been able to adopt or adapt to resolve lease renewal disputes for quite some time now, perhaps 20, 20 odd years. It is, in fact, a process by which parties can choose to opt out of the uh, the provisions in the current Act, which channels them towards the court, and to use either arbitration or independent expert determination as a means to resolve lease renewal disputes around you know a whole range of of issues uh, including you know the duration of new leases the amount of rent that's going to be paid drafting service charges break clauses alienation a- any anything that is relevant to a new lease where there is a dispute or a disagreement now pact in fact was uh, a process which was set up jointly by RSS and the Law Society. And both organisations worked together to develop this process. And it's been used to actually some great success over the last 20 years. When I say great success, what I mean is that when parties choose to use PACT, it has helped to resolve their disputes effectively, far cheaper than going to court and in a way that helps them to maintain their sort of business relationships. Where it hasn't been successful is it hasn't been used widely to the point of, you know, thousands and thousands of cases a year. And I think the the real reason for that is that it's a voluntary process in the sense that parties have to choose to use PACT. Both of them have to agree to use PACT and therefore opt out of the provisions in the current legis- uh, legislation to uh, to use the courts. So instead of using the courts, they have to agree to use PACT. And, you know, in my experience, you, you said at the, the top of this podcast, Dominic, that I've worked for RSS for over 30 years. Well, in that 30 years, you know, I've often seen the dynamic of disputes being that one party is often more keen to have it resolve and to use a method of resolving it than another. And unless there's some compulsion, some sort of maybe a character and a stick kind of approach, then it's sometimes difficult to get the other party to join in. You know, they may have a reason that they believe it's in their interests uh, not to cooperate. But the thing with Pat is, as a model, it's an ideal thing, I think, for the Law Commission to look at. Because when it has been used, it works. It could, of itself, I suppose, be uh, refined and made more simple. But certainly, as it stands at the moment, it's it's far uh, more accessible than litigation. And it also uh, achieves results in the sense that a decision that comes out of pact is as, just as binding as if you've been to court. Absolutely. And this was, um, again, another area that we actually spoke about in the, the webinar, which I should mention is actually available on our website. So if you are listening to this podcast, do jump on the website and you'll be able to find the webinar that we discussed 
these issues with last week. So around 20% of people on that survey that answered the polling question said that they had used PACT within the last five years, uh, at least on one occasion, as a, as a way of resolving these issues. So you're right to flag, really, that it's an area that, because of its voluntary nature, it doesn't quite have the, the traction at this stage. But it could be very much a solution for the Law Commission looking at the future of the Act. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, the 20-odd percent of parties ha- have used it. That's that's encouraging. And that's, what, there were 700 people who attended that webinar. It was very well attended. So I think that's a hugely representative kind of number. Interesting that um, at that same survey, there were so many people who said that um, uh, they hadn't or wouldn't use the court system. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So finding that balance between the two. <laughs> well, exactly. And I think if I was summing it up, I think that the courts have an important role to play, but they shouldn't be the only route to resolving a dispute, the only mechanism that's available. And they should only be used when it's absolutely necessary. And I, I think a lot of uh, the judiciary and a lot of people who work in the courts, lawyers as, as well, would agree with that, that courts should be used only when necessary and they shouldn't be used for uh, cases where matters could be resolved using a much more effective mechanism, a mechanism that would save people time and money and costs and is commercially practical Whereas, you know, courts, I can't ever describe them as commercially practical. Absolutely. And yeah, I think it's widely recognised that the, the court system is under some some strain, uh, not just in this area, but across across the board, really. And the the general direction of travel, again, more broadly speaking, is a move towards, you know, the court being the last step, if required, of, of a process rather than the automatic one to go to. Yeah, that's a good point, Dominic. And we've seen it in recent months and the last year or two as well, hasn't we? There's a, this exploration, shall we call it, of wider use of alternative dispute resolution to resolve all manner of civil disputes. So, you know, this Law Commission uh, review, which will result in a consultation, could well see a move that kind of supports that general move elsewhere to have disputes resolved other than through the court process when it is appropriate to do it. Fantastic. Well, before we, we sign off, uh, Martin, is there any, anything extra you'd like to add to our, to our listeners? No, there's lots more to, to say, I'm sure. And, and people ought to uh, take advantage of the opportunity that's going to be afforded to them to join in this consultation, which I, I know you're just going to provide a little bit more detail about now, Dominic. Absolutely. So, Martin, a massive thank you for finding time to, to join us today. Uh, so, as mentioned at the start of the podcast, the Law Commission is currently at the pre-consultation stage, which is stage two or five. We're anticipating a consultation paper by the end of this year, most likely December. The RSS will be responding to that, and I hope those that are listening to this podcast will also respond. So, on that note, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Dominic.